Welcome to episode 53 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Victoria Reynolds Farmer. This episode is a special one and it's a little bit different from our usual format. Since it's the beginning of the new year, and since we know it's sometimes pretty hard to keep track of our rotating stable of panelists, we wanted to take some time to introduce you in some depth to our three new panelists. In this episode, you'll hear three interviews each with a regular panelist introducing a new member of our team. The interview will cover the new panelist's background as both a Christian and a feminist, as well as some of the culture she's interested in possibly discussing in future shows. First, you'll hear me talk to Wheaton professor Christina Bieber-Lake. Then you'll hear Katie Grubbs chat with doctoral student Kim Feldman. And finally, Leah Henning will interview research librarian Sarah Davis. I've really enjoyed getting to know our new team members so far, and we hope you do as well. Listeners, uh, it's Victoria Reynolds Farmer here with the second in our series of new regular panelist introduction interviews, uh, and I'm here with Christina Bieber Lake. Hi, Christina. Hello. Uh, we're so glad to have you as a part of our team, and uh, I'm excited to be able to introduce you to our listeners today. So, why don't you start off and just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do during your day-to-day. Well, I uh, teach at Wheaton College. Um, I've been teaching at Wheaton in the English department since 1999, so for a while. And I am the happy owner, owner, happy occupant of the Clyde S. Kilby chair at the moment, and it is a wonderful privilege to have had years and years of terrific students Oh, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. Um, so tell us how you ended up here on the Christian Feminist Podcast. How did you find out about us? Well, that's a happy story because, as you know, Michael, after I wrote my book, Prophets of the Posthuman, Michael invited me to be a part of the Christian Humanist Podcast, which I accepted and was glad that I did. I had a great time talking to him on that. And then I went to Crown College and met you both there to do the lecture series. And uh, then I found out later about the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm not much of a podcast listener, so I wasn't really in on the whole podcast universe. So it took me a while to catch up to what you were doing. But then when I was doing a 
interview with Michael when they were talking about uh, Twilight Zone. Then I found out about the crossover, and then I thought this would be kind of fun. So that's how I got uh, added to the group, and I'm excited. I'll go any way I can. <laughs> we're uh, we're very excited to have to have won you uh, and claimed you as a regular on our show since you've been uh, several places on the network. So, uh, haha, Christian humanists, we win. Okay, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, M- Michael and I had a a, a bit of a. A bit of a back and forth, uh, good natured fight about it. So I'm I'm glad that uh that the CFP gets to gets to benefit from you and your knowledge uh, pretty regularly. Oh, I'm happy to be on either one. I've had a fun time. Uh, so so since uh, since we are introducing you to the Christian feminist listeners, we should probably cover both of those big points. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, um, if I can lapse into evangelical speak, uh, your personal testimony. When and how did you uh, start to identify as a Christian? Sure. Um, I was raised Catholic, and um, I grew up in the 1970s, which is important to also the feminist part of things, as I'm sure we'll get to. And I was a Catholic in the times when the church was pretty much preaching the social gospel, and I didn't hear anything about Jesus that I could recollect, at least having a personal relationship with Christ during those years. My parents had met at St. Louis University and were raised Catholics themselves. And it was during the time when my dad was in Vietnam, late 60s and early 70s, around when I was born, that uh, my mom became a Christian through, she got invited to a Bible study. So she'd been raised Catholic, but did not consider herself a Christian. And so um, she always made sure that we heard the gospel in spite of our regular attendance at Catholic church. I mean, this is not to be offensive to Catholics in any way. I don't, I certainly believe that Catholics are Christians. I'm just saying my own experience was that I didn't hear much about the gospel Um, except when I then went to a Youth for Christ camp. And I actually became a Christian when I was nine years old as a part of Pioneer Girls. Um, And I laugh about that now because I now I understand that the Pioneer Girls Club was started by a Wheaton graduate, and here I am teaching at Wheaton College. So things do all come around like salmon to the spawn, I guess, eventually. So I went to a Youth for Christ camp also when I was, you know, junior high age and reconfirmed my faith, whatever you want to call it. And uh, since then, I've just been growing steadily, though not necessarily in the same denomination. Uh, I certainly was a non-denominational Christian for college years. And then after that, I became Presbyterian, PCA, and then when I started studying Flannery O'Connor, I became an Anglican. Oh, what what an interesting story! Uh, I I think that a lot of us um, at the CFP have have gone through those kind of denominational switches. Um, but I, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about the the sort of the social gospel and and the balance between social justice and doctrine because I I think that's something that a lot of us um, kind of have 
I don't want to say have trouble with, but a, a lot of us are sort of trying to find the, the right balance between those two things as, as Christian feminists specifically. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to add that I think in my early life as um, post-Catholic Christian, I was very resistant to Catholicism, and I thought that the social gospel had deprived me of a relationship with Christ. And then, of course, as I matured as a graduate student in particular, and reading Flannery O'Connor and everything that she read, I began to go back around to the social gospel aspects, right? So for me, it was also a conversion back to understanding that we need to be socially active um, as well as orthodox. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a tough balance to strike. And I know um, listeners, I, I know, are aware of, of kind of the struggle we've had in, in crafting these episodes. We've, we've gotten criticism both ways that we're sort of too doctrinaire in some episodes and, and too social justice in other episodes. So, you know, it's, it's a struggle that we're sort of trying to find the golden mean between as, as a show as well. Well, if you make everybody happy, something is wrong. So, that's, you know, that's, there's that's always got to be somebody unhappy. Pretty much my view too. If if we get the the if we keep getting the criticism from both sides, I'm I'm pretty happy with with where we are as a show. Let me just put it this way: Wheaton knows how to get criticism from both sides as well. So we're very used to that at, yeah. at the college. That's that's good. Uh, so this is probably a, a good place to, uh, since we have covered the C, to cover the F in CFP. Uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, your evolution as a feminist. Well, I was very much a tomboy. I don't know what the current term for that is. As I was growing up um, in the 70s, as I mentioned, and I mean, I had very short hair. I played sports. I was often mistaken for a boy. I had a kind of righteous indignation, you know, about what boys got to do that girls did not get to do. I remember in particular that my brother was invited to go deep sea fishing, and I love fishing, and that I was not invited because I was a girl. This just struck me as insane. He oh, didn't want to go. That's terrible. I know. He didn't want to go fishing, right? And yet I wasn't invited, even though I had been studying fishing. I, nobody ever took me, so I would study it. I would get, I had the freshwater fisherman's Bible, you know, and several other things. And I mean, that's not deep sea fishing. This, I'm just saying I, my memory was of this deep sea fishing expedition that I didn't get invited on. I would have done any kind of fishing is my point. And so I, I think like a lot of people on that have been on the show, I just had some sort of justice issues in my own personal orbit that that just didn't make any sense to me about why would this be something that girls couldn't do. And so I just, I would say I wanted to be a boy, you know, they just get to do more things. And, and then I, uh, you know, started growing up and realizing that my own personal experience was a very small thing compared to the injustices that many women face just from being women particularly, obviously, in the Middle East and other places. And as my eyes got to be opened, I realized that this was a pretty big problem and that there were still a lot, there was a lot of ground that still needed to be won. 
And then when I went to graduate school, I um, got the great benefit of working closely with my dissertation director, director, which is Elizabeth Fox Genovese, who is both a famous Southern historian and a feminist, and started the um, women's studies program at Emory University, which she subsequently was forced out of because she didn't believe in abortion. She eventually became more, well, she would talk, she would say it was returning to the church at the time that I was um, in graduate school, but she became a Catholic in the mid-90s at the same time that I was in graduate school and started working with her. So it was, for me, an extraordinary formative experience being a student of hers, watching her spiritual transformation, hearing the story how she was forced out of this program that she helped to start simply because she believed that you could be a feminist and not believe in the entire radical feminist agenda. I had no idea you worked with her. I have uh, have loved her for many years. Yes. Her, her work is, is wonderful, and she's as you say, such a, such a boundary pusher in, in really fascinating ways. Yes. Uh, I miss her so much. I, I can't remember what year she died now, but it was a significant loss to me. Um, working with her was the most important academic and scholarly thing that has ever happened to me in my life. Uh, to, not to put a fine point on it, but that's exactly the case. Oh no, I, I I'm not sure you can put too fine a point on on formative experiences like those. I mean, I I think that, um, I mean we've we've said on the show so many times, talked about the the feminists that have um, influenced us politically and and in the faith. Um, Sarah Bessie, uh, whose book Jesus Feminist we read. Um, way back on the show calls those people our spiritual midwives uh and i I love that term and i I think it's it's so important to pay tribute to those people i agree and she is definitely a spiritual midwife for me and not to mention the incredible work that she's done in this area and how much impact that's had broadly you know but just for me even personally it's been great she is definitely a midwife thank you so much for uh for sharing that so uh, the last question that we want to cover, which I think you might have multiple answers to, is sort of akin to the third segment of every show that we do, the passing on segment. Uh, tell the listeners about things that you're reading, watching, listening to, excited about um, that you'd like to share with us that might come up in future episodes that you have a hand in. Well, I need to do some more thinking about this because there's nothing I'm not watching and reading and excited about. So I need to think more specifically about what your listeners would, you know, enjoy hearing from. But I mean, I watch probably more television than I should. And there's a lot of really great TV shows that Netflix, you know, is coming up with nowadays that would, I think, be so interesting from a Christian feminist perspective to talk through. Um, I'm working on a book. I'm writing a book right now about a theology of story, and I am keen on talking about some of the things that I think story touches on inherently that the, you know, 
affirmation of personal being that storytelling necessarily does, meaning you look at somebody's life and you say this life is significant and has value, that I think that has an inherent spiritual dimension and ultimately is best explained by Christianity. So just to take an example, I've been teaching, a lot of times I've taught this book, Persepolis, you know, the um, graphic novel. I love Persepolis. Yes. And, you know, doesn't this just put value on the individual life? Um, You know, Sartrapi is, I'm not sure how you say her name, Sartrapi, do you know? That Sartrapi sounds right to me. Yeah, I don't know quite how to pronounce it. I've never heard it pronounced. I've only ever read about her and, of course, read the, the novel. And she's really giving us a, a window into the life of a Persian woman that we would otherwise not have a window into her life and helping us to see that she's grown up a girl just like every other girl and had dreams just like every other young girl has had dreams and um, but had to face these other issues that were on top of it and to me there's there's just an inherent spiritual dimension to telling a story uh, about individuals and and giving value to their individual lives even if they're fictionalized in this case it's not but even if they are fictionalized it's still a way of saying each individual person has value yeah, that's that's great, and and Persepolis is is really interesting if you're talking about um, fabrication of story um, because it's a graphic novel. The sort of the the way that narrative has to has to change. Um, yes, I love um, graphic novels. I just had an opportunity to put together a class last fall at Wheaton that was entitled "The Rise of the Graphic Novel," and I got to spend a whole semester talking about these great new novels. I mean, the sky's the limit these days with this form. And so I'd love to talk about some of these, some of these new forms uh, on the show at some point, but Linda Berry, who's a great graphic novelist and certainly a feminist. And of course there's Alison Bechdel, which I've heard you guys talk about before with the Bechdel test. Oh yeah, Uh, sure. (laughs) Gotta shout out to Bechdel. Yes, right. And, and so there's just a lot of tremendous, excellent work going on in the realm of the graphic novel right now. And so that's a lot of what I'm reading and thinking about and would definitely like your listeners to start looking into. All right. Uh, listeners, you, you heard it here first. Uh, if you have any specific graphic novel recommendations that you think would benefit from a Christian feminist perspective, uh, let us know at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com, and maybe uh, maybe Christina will work up an episode for us about the graphic novel of your choice. I would love that. That would be great. Uh, I, I also probably, uh, since since you are an O'Connor expert, and since we have not improbably on the Christian Feminist Podcast uh, done an episode about O'Connor, um, maybe maybe we'll twist your arm and, and make you do one of those eventually, too. Well, Victoria, it's really difficult to get me to talk about Flannery O'Connor, but I might be able to manage it. <laughs> right. No, she's I, uh... certainly, certainly important to discuss because you want to talk about a woman who was radically um, countercultural, it's Flannery O'Connor. I mean, and, and being a woman and uh, being a Catholic and just not taking uh, crap right from the culture, that's her. 
Oh, yeah, just a absolutely wonderful. And and for me personally, as a as a Christian woman with a disability, I I, I find a lot of um a lot of strength uh in O'Connor and you know, a, a lot of um kind of tough self-examination too. I she um some of her stories kind of hit at things that I I I don't really like and and wish I didn't know about myself, but but that can be really spiritually productive too. And that is a sign of a great writer, isn't it? She'll get into that and uh and I would love to, the chance to talk more about her. Oh, great. I, I think we've covered a lot of ground uh, here today. I appreciate you introducing yourself to our community and look forward to uh, hearing more of what you have to say later on the show. Well, I look forward to it as well. Thanks for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Thanks, Christina. Hi listeners, it's me, Katie Grubbs, and uh, I'm here to today to help you get to know one of our new panelists for the new year. And so today we're going to spend a little time getting to know Kimberly Feldman. And uh, to get started, I just want to say welcome to you, Kimberly. Thanks. And, uh, and listeners who are devoted and listen to every episode have actually have already heard her on, um, on our Christian Feminist Pedagogy episode, but uh, we wanted to spend a little more in-depth time getting to know her. So uh, to start, we would just love to hear a little bit about your background and your job and family and anything uh, that you would like to share with our listeners of your personal history. Sure. Um I grew up in Louisiana, Georgia, and uh, as I mentioned before, I went to University of Georgia, and I majored in English and minored in drama there for my undergraduate degree, and then I got my graduate degree in secondary education um, for English, and um, went from there to teach for three years in a tiny Yupik Eskimo village on the coast of the Bering Sea in Alaska. Um, the kind that you have to dry, fly on the little bush plane to get to. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was pretty, um, a pretty intense experience and, um, I'm very grateful for it. So I did that for three years. Then I taught, um, outside of Atlanta for a couple of years. And then after meeting my husband, I moved up here to Baltimore and I taught outside of Baltimore for a bit, um, for a long bit. And, uh, once I had my kids, I decided to take some time for off for child rearing leave. Um, I am kind of obsessed with teaching. So I had a hard time being the mom I wanted to be and being the teacher I wanted to be. And so I felt like I needed to make a choice and that I could always go back to teaching um, and that I couldn't go back to being a mom of littles. So um, I did that, but I still miss teaching. So I started to do some adjunct work at University of Maryland, Baltimore County, working with future teachers. And um, that turned out to be just very satisfying for me. I still miss teaching high school a lot, but I really enjoyed that. Um, so I started working on my PhD in language literacy and culture there. Um, and that's a really, it was a really cool interdisciplinary program that I'm in. Um, that kind of crosses between education, sociology, gender and women's studies, American studies. Um, and 
uh, kind of looking at the intersection of language, literacy, and culture through all those different lenses. So um, it was a perfect fit for me, and now I'm at the point of working on my dissertation. Um, I'm using feminist research methods to examine how award-winning teachers negotiate policy and practice in their classrooms, especially when those policies can kind of constrain teacher practice in a lot of different ways. And um, yeah, so I do that uh, a lot of the time. I'm married to my husband, who is a pastor of a church in the area. So that is another role that I play as pastor's wife. And I have a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son that keep me very busy. And um, so right now, a lot of my Ministry and social life uh, involves hanging out with other moms at soccer and dance and in the neighborhood. And um, and that's been pretty awesome. Uh, once I got used to it, it was a little hard at first, but now I'm very much kind of getting into that groove of that um, season of life that I'm in. Thank you so much. Um, I didn't know that about you teaching in Alaska. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Awesome. Um, and I, I actually, I think I went, I think I want to quickly, I want to skip forward and and a little bit. I wasn't going to ask this till later, but to me, it, it's, it feels weird to not ask it closer to the beginning. So with all of that, with, you know, your kind of life up to now, how did you then be- get hooked up with the CFP? How did you become involved with our podcast? Um... You know, I actually don't even remember how I first listened to an episode, (laughs) Um, but uh, I got to you through listening to the episode. So I, you know, I started at the beginning with the very first episode um, and um, it was probably a year or two ago. It was, you had, you guys were well into it by the time I started. And so I kind of like binge listened for a while. Um, and it was just very helpful to me. We were in a um, place in our church community when we were talking a lot about what our church believes about, uh, women in ministry. And I had just been introduced to feminist theory through my PhD program. And so to have, um, this community of women that I didn't ever know or talk to that, um, were speaking both of those discourses of both the church and, um, scholarship was very helpful to me to process through a lot of that. And what that meant for me, I wasn't really identifying as a feminist at that point. Um, so I found the Christian feminist podcast to be very helpful to me for that reason. At some point I wrote a letter to, um, to the podcast, just expressing those thoughts and saying how I kind of felt like I was friends with you guys, even though you didn't know me, um, (laughs) because I just enjoyed listening so much. Um, but, uh, and I was just like, you know, I've got these ideas. I would love to, um, start getting into dialogue with you guys. And so that's how I got here. Awesome. We actually, um, the Christian Humanist Radio Network, we kind of have a history of listeners, uh, coming on in some way, shape or form. I know that there are some guys who are on the kind of, um, in the kind of satellite of other podcasts like book of nature and things that came out of Christian humanist podcast who started out as listeners. Um, and so that's, that is super fun. And we love that when we get to do that, when we get to bring people in who have great ideas. Um, and then I know you kind of started off to, to kind of hint at a little bit of that talking about with the podcast, but I guess, um, and I'm going to ask these two questions at the same time, because I feel like maybe they're 
it might be easier to answer them together. So because we're Christian feminist podcast, we just really want to um, give our listeners a chance to learn, you know, kind of when or how did you begin to become or identify as Christian? And then also when and how did you begin to identify as feminist? And how do those things kind of go together for you? Yeah, so um, I was kind of raised culturally Catholic. Um, You know, I had a very happy childhood, but we weren't very much connected with the church at all. Uh, If you asked me what my faith was, I would say Catholic or say Christian. But it wasn't until my freshman year of college that I really started to think about what that really meant. Um, And I was just began because of a series of life events and just the season that I was in asking a lot of spiritual questions. And I ended up coming to faith through a Methodist campus ministry um, at University of Georgia. And I was very involved there for my years while I was there. And then when I went up to Alaska, I worked, um, did Young Life with the kids and taught catechism classes. Um, And uh, then when I met my husband, I started to do ministry with him. So um, it's been since about my freshman year of college that I have identified as a Christian. Um, feminist was much more recently. Um, I feel like both words, uh, <laughs> Christian and feminist, have a lot of cultural baggage. And um, I I guess anytime I um, feel like I explain those parts of my identity to someone, I feel like I have to qualify them and explain that, you know, it, it's a very specific particular conceptualization of those terms that might not um, align with the images that are conjured by the media and pop culture. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I hate that I have to do that, but um, but I think that might also be why it took me a while to kind of own my um, identification as a feminist. But um, I really had no interaction with actual feminist theory until my PhD program. And it is an interdisciplinary program. And I remember when we got to that week in our introductory course that we were going to look at that, I was like, well, this is the one topic out of everything we're looking at this semester that's not going to be relevant to my research. Um, Because I kind of had an idea of what I was going to research. And then I started reading it and it was so completely relevant. It was completely helpful to me uh, to help understand things that I was seeing in my own life and the lives of women around me, but it was also helpful to explain what teachers were going to be through because it's a feminized profession and a lot of the silencing and oppression of teachers, I think, is tied to the fact that it's a feminized profession. And so um, I started to be like, to recognize that that was something that was going to be useful for my research. Um, and then, like I said, I started listening to the Christian Feminist podcast and feeling, realizing that, okay, it's okay to be both Christian and feminist. Um, and I, um, interestingly, my husband gave me a book to read by Wayne Grudem called Countering the Claims of Evangelical Feminism. And at first I didn't want to read it because I found the title to be upsetting and the images on the cover to be upsetting. So he actually took a Sharpie and fixed it. He changed the title (laughs) and the the images. And so I started reading and it was actually some of the arguments in that book that kind of like, I was like, yes, this is, this is what I believe. And I realized that that I feel like Wayne Grudem just had a misunderstanding of what feminism meant, but like, some of the ideas in the book were that there was that there was a distortion of the relationship and genders because of the fall. And, um, and some of the, you know, I, I found in his book an explanation why feminism was important to me. Um, and so it's kind of a weird way to come 
to that, but it was a confluence of all those things, the PhD program, your podcast, and the readings of Wayne Grudem. <laughs> that is super, super interesting. I know um, I read a lot of Grudem and Piper's big um, kind of encyclopedia of complementarianism when we did our complementarian and egalitarian series. And so it, you're right. That is a really interesting way to to come at it from the other side, I guess. As yeah. It um, that is so that's so fun. Uh, well, thank you so much for for kind of opening up and telling our listeners so much about yourself and your life. And I do have one more question that's actually not from the past. It's not retrospective, but um, current. And that is, um, is there anything right now that you are reading or watching or listening to that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, I have a lot of books on my bedside table. Um, so I, you know, I, I, my husband and I did just finish the crown. Um, we're, we're kind of obsessed with, uh, BBC programming. Um, and so we're waiting for new seasons to come out for that, but we watched the crown. Um, and I, I do, I would recommend that it has some really interesting things going on. Um, just with class and identity and gender that I wasn't expecting when I sat down to watch it. Um, and I've also, uh, I am reading Whose Body by Dorothy Sayers um, at your recommendation. Awesome. Um, there, I'm reading a really amazing book called Reading, Writing, and Rising Up by Linda Christensen. Um, that is, it's by a teacher and about the awesome work that she's doing in her classroom. And so if there are any teachers out there, it's in, encouraging and inspiring. So that's what I'm reading. Thanks so much. And um, we'll, uh, we'll link to, to those things in the show notes, too, so that if listeners want to check out your recommendations, they know where to find them. Um, so thank you so much for joining us to introduce yourself. And we so look forward to seeing you more and more often in our episodes this year. All right. Thanks. And uh, thanks, thanks for being with us today. No problem. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Leah. <laughs> All right. I have a few questions for you today. Uh, why don't we start with you telling us a bit about your personal history and background? Well, my name is Sarah Davis, and I live and work in Waco, Texas. And yes, even if I live in Waco, Texas, I ha have never been on Fixer Upper. I don't know the Gaineses, anything like that. But I've been in Waco for a couple of years. I moved here um, when I started working at a local library here in town. Before then, I lived out in Abilene in West Texas. I worked for the state uh, for Child Protective Services. And so I was a caseworker and trainer uh, for new employees. And I did that for six years after I graduated from Baylor. And so I've always lived in Texas, kind of moved all around but I've been lucky enough to get to, to not have to live anywhere else. So it's been, uh, uh, it's been really good. And I have been enjoying listening to podcasts for several years. And so I'm very excited to get to be on one myself and not just listen to one. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> 
Um, now, you and I have chatted a little bit before, but I think our listeners would definitely like to know uh, how you had such a career jump um, from working with these kids to working with the library. Well, um, one of the reasons for this career jump is, in case no one knew, uh, doing child protective work, any uh, child welfare, it's a very stressful job. And so when I first started, I wasn't, I'd, I was an English major and I graduated from college in 2008. And so even people with useful degrees couldn't get jobs in 2008 when they graduated, let alone people with degrees in English. So I went to work for Child Protective Services for several years. My mother has worked for CPS my whole life, and she's a great inspiration to me. But I knew I could do the job. I knew about the job. And so I kind of started doing that. And it was really beneficial in a lot of unexpected ways. Working for CPS really helps boost your confidence because you kind of have to learn how to swim or drown. And so I was lucky enough to get to be one of the ones who learned how to swim. And so that really helped with a lot of self-confidence. But I did graduate school while I was uh, working for the, the department. And then I uh, finished grad school. And so I kind of started looking around for work in other places because, as I said, CPS is one of the most stressful jobs a person can have. And being a librarian is one of the least stressful jobs someone can have. And so a position opened up here in Waco. And because I lived here when I was going to school at Baylor I gave it a shot and I got hired and so that's how I got to be back in Waco after all these years wonderful <laughs> all right and now the big question that I'm sure all of our listeners will be interested to know how did you end up on the Christian Feminist podcast well I ended up on the Christian Feminist because as I said a little earlier I listened to so many podcasts I listen to sports podcasts, I listen to science podcasts, the food ones, and I listen to several podcasts in the Christian Humanist Radio Network. And I started listening to the Christian Humanists, oh goodness, about four or five years ago. And I don't know how I found them, I just did. And I started listening to them. And eventually, you know, all these other shows started coming on. And so I would listen to them. And I was never really somebody who gave any feedback. And then earlier, this past year in 2006, Christian Feminists did an episode over Christian teen dating culture. And as a single at the time, I was very, very um, impressed with what they had said. And also I had a lot of opinions because I have a lot of opinions about everything. I had a lot of opinions about how that Christian teen dating culture that I kissed dating goodbye, all that kind of stuff, how being told that when you're 14 can negatively affect your dating life when you're in your 30s, especially if the church doesn't provide you any new information. And so I'd kind of written to them a little bit about that and about how much I appreciated their opinions on the subject. And lo and behold, they were kind enough to invite me to be on the episode about uh, singleness in the church, which we, which you and I uh, were on back in October or so. And so I had such a great time with that. I reached out and said, you know, if y'all ever need me again, I'd love to help because it was so much fun getting to talk with y'all. And so y'all were kind enough to let me join. And so that's how I got here. And for those of you who haven't listened to that podcast, if you can't tell that Sarah and I and Bethany, who's on that 
podcast with us. If you can't tell that we're having a lot of fun entering into that discussion with each other, um, we haven't done our jobs. But on to the next question, Um, could you tell us when and or how you first began to identify as a Christian? Well, um, this is kind of an interesting question for me because in the same way certain children are raised in a home and, you know, like, oh, where are you going to go to college? And, you know, the kid is four and like, oh, I'm going to go to Baylor. I'm going to go to Texas A&M. Like they just know because that's what has been around in their whole lives. That was kind of me in Christianity. And I don't mean to say that in any way to trivialize my conversion experience that I had when I was in the fourth grade, because that was real and that was meaningful, but that wasn't ever anything that I doubted was ever in my future. Um, I go to church, my parents go to church, my grandparents go to church. And so I was raised in the, this evangelical Southern Baptist tradition. And I remember the, the thing I really remember is sitting and they would have like the Lord's Supper and always wanting to participate. And my mother would be like, no, you're not a Christian yet. You cannot do that. And I would sit there and I'd be like six or seven. I'd be like, I go to church. Why don't I get to have any? Because apparently I thought that grape juice was going to be super delicious. And I was like, no, no, you're not. That's not the same thing. Going to church is not the same thing as being a Christian. And so when I finally had that experience, I remember when I very first, I was so excited the very first um, Lord's Supper that I actually got to take because I'd gotten to observe this my whole life. Well, my whole life up until age like 10. And so when I finally got to have some, I remember being so excited that I finally, I'm finally a real, I get to participate and I'm a Christian and I've been baptized and I got, and I had the juice and I remember being like, oh, we have this at home. (laughs) But I did keep the like the little plastic cup that it comes in. I did keep that, and it's in my keepsake box at home. Oh, that's very sweet. All right, and another um, important question for us and our viewers or listeners: um, When and or how did you begin to identify as a feminist? Well, you know that's a also very interesting question because even now if somebody asks me um i don't that's probably not a term i would ever self-identify as or it might be like a fifth or sixth way that i describe myself it's never going to be in the first like two sentences but i kind of grew up in one of those houses that you know i i would sometimes hear that being said as a negative because you know feminists hate men or like they don't you know that it was just this generally this kind of negative term is how I remembered hearing it at home and and it kind of made sense to me like why would we need feminists because all the women I knew my grandmothers all worked and they worked outside the home and my mother worked outside the home and my aunts all worked outside the home and they all had loving and supportive marriages and so this idea that there were somehow women out there who weren't treated equally and weren't provided with the respect and opportunities was a very foreign concept to me because I didn't, I never observed it. So if I didn't see it, well then clearly it wasn't a problem anywhere else. But as I got older and I got into high school, college, and then even just having good conversations, adult level conversations with my mother, her friends and my grandmothers, I was like, Oh, Oh yeah, I actually could see the need for this because 
talking with my grandmothers about some of the things they had to go through in the sixties. Oh, that's ridiculous. My, my paternal grandmother had to have my grandfather's written permission to go to graduate school. Well, that's ridiculous. And it would, you know, and so the thought like, Oh, that's something that she actually had to do and put up. Okay. I, so I see the need more now um, as I've gotten older and I can see some of the inequality that is still in the world. I, I, I can see it um, more effectively than obviously I could as a child when it was kind of, it was kind of a joking term. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's something that we all eventually notice about our world that's brought us to this point. Um, all right. Final question. Is there anything that you're currently reading, watching, or listening to that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Well, I read and watch a lot of stuff. That's one of the th- it's one of the drawbacks of having so much streaming media of Hulu and Netflix and all those things is you can always be watching something. But as for reading, I'm currently reading uh, I'm currently reading The Idiot by uh, Dostoevsky, and it's really excellent. And it really focuses on the our main character who is very, very Christ-like, but because he is so Christ-like, everyone around him assumes that he's basically mentally ill or mentally deficient because why else would you behave in such a self-effacing, kind, and gentle manner? You would have to be crazy, right? And so it kind of, it, it talks about that, and so that's been very interesting. And then the other thing that I would specifically recommend to some of our readers who I would presume readers, some of our listeners who I would presume are probably going to skew to be primarily female is there is a wonderful, wonderful um, web magazine called Verily. And so the web, the uh, web address is verilymag.com. And they have this wonderful, wonderful tagline that I just adore. And it says less of who you should be more of who you are. And so it has some of the same kind of some of the same topics as what you might think of something else like glamour or Cosmo, but it's in a much more respectful way. So yes, they have a section on relationships, but the section on relationships is how to get along with your mother-in-law and how to get along with your friends now that you may be married and they're still single things that real women actually experience in life. Uh, they have a very, very strict. Um, they have a very, very strict. Uh, oh, what's the word? Um, policy on uh, no Photoshop and any of their pictures. And so you look at the magazine like, oh, that woman looks like me. Oh, I could actually wear that because I could see how that works. Because she and I are probably about the same size. And so it's very, very uplifting to get to read uh, problems that that. I know that I experience or that my, that my married friends go through. And so it, it feels much more real and there's no, you know, 20 things that he's secretly wanting. I mean, there's nothing like that. And so I would really encourage uh, women to check that magazine out or that uh, website out. It's really, really great. They have a lot of fashion and makeup stuff, but again, it's in, and it's in a very respectful, realistic way that a normal human or a normal female would actually want to, engage in and it it doesn't present an idealized state of being a woman it is very much 
how you're living your life. That sounds wonderful. I'm definitely going to go and check that out now. (laughs) All right. And I think that is it. So thank you for letting me interview you today. Well, Leah, it is great to talk with you. And I look forward to being on more of these podcasts um, with you in the future. And I will be hosting one later on in the semester as well. And like I said, I'm just really excited and thrilled. I've listened to podcasts for years and to think that, oh my gosh, I get to be on one. I'm kind of like slightly giddy. So I'm just very excited. Oh, well, we're excited to have you. Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We want to hear from you. If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for a future show, or if you just want to say hi, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out show notes from this and other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison, and Elizabeth Bremner is our intern. For all the panelists new and old here at the CFP, I am Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing the Women on the $20 Bill campaign. Until then, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love.